Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. Uh, Jay Billis joins us right now, and we're always delighted to speak with him. Hello, Jay. Thanks for being with us. How you been? Great, Bobby. How about you? I'm uh, hanging in there, and I'm having a bad bit of luck. Every city I seem to go to now seems to be getting awful weather. I'm, I'm, you know. Oh, is that right? Oh my God! Every time I fly, I'm flying through bouncy. I don't like you. A good flyer? Are you a relaxed flyer? You, you don't mind flying? Mostly. I mean, I, I'm like everybody else. I don't enjoy bouncing all over the place. But uh, uh, you know, I know, I know. No matter how uh, bouncy it gets, that thing ain't fly, falling out of the sky. So it's just a <laughs> comfort issue. That's and I, I always laugh when I was on a flight. I mean, this was 1985. I was playing on the playing for Gene Cady on the U.S. national team. We'd flow over over to Taiwan and we had this beautiful 747 and the thing took, uh, I must've hit an air pocket or something. It took this huge drop and uh, you know, everything hit the ceiling and all that. And I, I probably held on to my armrest for the next year <laughs> thinking it was going to happen again. And, uh, and, and I had a pilot tell me one time I asked him about it. He said, you know, those things are so rare. It's, it's like hitting a pothole, you know, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And so I stopped worrying about it. Yeah. That's uh, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You might know has a, a absolutely liked going to see therapy fear of flying. And that's what they told him, though. That's when you go to the course, they say these things are designed to fly. The term they use for him, they make it like childlike. They like to fly. It's not coming out of the sky. So just what you said. You, but you're well, a guy funny, who like, but, but you worry about that, and you're going, there are so few things that ever happen with regard to airlines. But you don't feel funny in your car, and the car bounces all over the place <laughs> that's, that's, just on, the, on our crappy roads and lousy infrastructure. <laughs> and there are accidents all over the place, and we never worry about it. I know, that we're is worried about something that so hardly true. ever happens that, in the air. I don't yeah, know. Well, we're logical people, but that's exactly – you know how I try and calm myself, and then I promise we'll get off the subject, is when it gets really bouncy. When I was working at St. Francis in New York, every once in a while I'd have to take the subway from down in Brooklyn Heights, down in way down in the southern part, up all the way to the Bronx. If there was a game we had to go to or something, I wasn't going to drive to it. I'd take the subway up there. And there was a stretch of track. I can't remember where it was now, but it was, you know, some of those tracks are really old. And if you got on the express train, they can book a little bit. And when they went through that stretch, 
It was worse than any turbulence you ever hit in any air. I'm telling you, it was the this car was bouncing around and flying. And I would try and remind myself when I was in the plane. Okay, we're just on the on the uh, four train going up to the Bronx. <laughs> that's that's all we're doing. And so it's okay. We're not going to derail, and the plane's not going to fall from the sky. So uh, I tell myself, Bobby, there's nothing I can do about this. Also true. Yeah, like, the, I just sit there and go, I can't do anything about this. I can hope it's going to change, but there's nothing I can do. So you just got to sit there. Yeah, but you know that we are, I'm of, the. I'm one of the personality types, and I have, you know, been told this, that those of us that feel whenever we're in a situation like that, we don't like it. That makes us, like, I don't like, I have an almost irrational fear of lightning for the same reason. I don't know where it's coming. I'm on a golf course. I don't know where it's going to hit. I don't know, you know, when, where, how, you know, we're completely, you're safe. You don't, you're not ever really completely safe until you're back in the clubhouse. So I get very uncomfortable because I can't, can't control that. And I can't control the thing in the airplane. And that doesn't calm me down because, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's foolish because there's so many things in life we don't control. Like even when you're driving your car, you know, you're driving, you're controlling your car, but there's million other people and they may decide hey i think i'm going to run this light or drive across the median and so you can't control that but uh, that's what my dad told me one time i was i was complaining to him about when i was 16 about not letting me drive somewhere i said that i said but don't you trust me he goes no i trust you i don't trust them (laughs) why he was a wise man no question all right let's get to basketball we got a firing a high profile i hate to be that way it sounds vulture-ish but it's a pretty high profile job and a pretty good job ohio state parting ways with chris holtman right in the middle of the year a were you surprised they did it then and b all right come on play the game with me Wait, where do you, what do you think they're thinking about where, where to go from here? I, I'm always kind of surprised when it happens in the middle of the season um, because uh, maybe I'm, I'm old enough where I go, they used to say that they would never do this, that this is college sports. But the truth is it's the NBA and the NFL. So um, I shouldn't be surprised. But the, the one thing that was a little bit different about Chris Holtman's uh, dismissal at uh, Ohio State was he's got a new AD coming in. So Ross Bjork, uh, formerly at Ole Miss, I think he still has to be approved by the uh, Ohio State Board of Governors before it's final. Um, but uh, what what can oftentimes happen when you have someone coming in new is the old uh, the old AD working with the new one fires the coach, yeah. so the new guy doesn't have to get to do it coming in. That's true. And uh, they certainly work together. The the, the outgoing AD is not going to fire somebody that the new guy likes right. and wants to keep. Right. But uh, but that's that's probably what was happening. And and you know I do think there's a lot. You know Jeremy Foley, the former athletic director at Florida. Yep. And Jeremy was and is a great administrator, um, but he had a saying that I think permeated college sports and those that were, were tutored by him, and there were there were and are so many. He used to say, what you will do eventually, you should do immediately. Yeah, I remember you in, saying in other that. Words, yeah. yeah, if you're going to fire somebody at the end of the season, just do it now. Now, I don't think what you will do eventually, you should do immediately, applies to everything, because eventually we're all going to die, and I would prefer not to do that immediately. Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. I, I like that. Um, how I, I'm sorry it has to keep being the topic here, but it does, because the other night, and I've said only half kiddingly, the, the people that were just you know, champing at the bit about a coaching change here in Louisville watched that first half against Boston College and said, Wow, you know this is not good news for me because they've won some games and now they're playing well on the road and maybe this team's figuring it out. And then they went in the second half and they were, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde team again and they were awful and and uh, you know everybody kind of deflated once again. So um, 
would would things have changed that much in a game like that? Are they changeable? Is probably a more important question. I don't know. And first of all, kudos on the use of champing. You, you hear a lot of people say chomping is yes. a bit. That is incorrect. Thank you. Perfect, perfect usage of champing. Thank you. Um, I, I I don't see um, how you know this game to game sort of dissecting of everything uh, that Louisville does is going to be productive. Um, it, it's going to be, you know, can you get better from here to there the course of the year? Um, it, it's just so difficult to reverse course in the course of a year. And for those that I, I'm sure there are fans that have their minds made up, there may be administrators that have their minds made up. Um, but I'm not sure all that's productive. Um, you know, it, it's not going to, they're not going to make the tournament. It's not going to get, I don't see some sort of, um, thing where you know they can win the automatic bid and get on that kind of run i don't think they're that kind of team so it's just you know it's like it's like we were talking about turbulence you know you just have to ride it out and uh and this is always these things are always you know you serve at the pleasure of your your administration your bosses and when they've i i still think that this is a big deal and i'm not talking about louisville here just anywhere when it hits their bottom line, that's when it's over. Mm. When butts aren't in the seats and when they're looking at, you know, if we don't do this, we're going to be in this cycle for longer and it's going to cost us more money. The bottom line is going to determine all of this. Yeah, and right now it's no secret. It's really impacting not only the university, but they did the business first here did an article about the one one they focused on one particular restaurant that's literally right across the street from the Yum Center. When you've been here, you may have seen it. It's called the Troll Pub, and mm-hmm. they they normally on men's basketball game nights were doing about ten or eleven thousand dollars. They they've only hit like three thousand once this year. So that's the, and again, you could say, well, it's not our concern what the Troll Pub does, but I, to some degree, it is. They're your neighbors, right? I mean, you gotta you can't be oblivious to it, can you? I mean, it's you, you well, but at least acknowledge. Yeah, it. you're right. You can't be oblivious to it. But, but but the truth is, those are uh, you can call those canaries in the coal mine with regard to to the economics of this. If there aren't butts in the restaurants, that's probably because there aren't butts in your seat. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, like, look, season tickets are already paid for, but that doesn't mean they're paid for next year. True. And uh, and so when you're finding, you know, when when that starts hitting, that's a destabilizing thing. And uh, you know what, what what was really interesting to me, Bobby, is like when uh, when Nick Saban retired. Uh, I read something in one of these business journals that said that was a one one hundred million dollars change. Yeah, I, I that saw that happened. same piece. I saw that. And and you know, w- with Ohio State, that's going to make a lot of coaches money that aren't going anywhere, but their their administration thinks they might, so they're going to get extensions and big bumps. Uh, somebody's going to take that job, and it's likely going to be from a pretty high-profile place. That means other people are going to leave to go where they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's a domino effect in this that doesn't exist anywhere else. Like, until college sports does things on the, the administra- administrative and coaching side, like the NFL and the NBA, like when, when uh, uh, you know, when the Philadelphia 76ers fire a coach or the, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks fire, fire their coach, they're not getting another sitting NBA coach. They right. can't do that. Right. Uh, and they can't even get a system. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks fired their guy and went into the, the broadcast booth to get, to get their next coach. 
Um, and college sports is totally different. Um, it's a destabilizing thing, and it, and it has far-reaching consequences. I, I, that's a good segue to what I wanted to ask you next. The Jay Billis with us here, and you know how much I respect your your. I, I, I and I'm fascinated by the business side of almost anything, and certainly college sports is one of them. And now we are on the cusp of something that could be very significant, and I want to ask you about that. The Dartmouth athletes who won their uh, request to, to unionize, now the National Labor Relations Board has given Dartmouth's trustees extra time to request their review to put off this unionization because like like all the NCA institutions they've they're they're willing to fight to the death to not make these players uh, employees for various reasons some of which are understandable some of which are less defensible I think but uh you know this reminds me I'm old enough older than you to remember when when Marvin Miller got the baseball players together and tried to unionize and people rolled their eyes and said, how can you do this? They're different teams, they're different that. And the owners didn't even take them particularly seriously. And then when they found out they wouldn't cave, the owners went all the way the other way over the hill and, and conceded everything to them. He wasn't even – he never a million years expected to get all the concessions he got. He threw them out there knowing, okay, well, we can take this off the table and that. And instead, they panicked the owners and gave them everything. And then seemingly overnight, the baseball union became so immensely powerful. Is that a scenario that is applicable to what's going on in college right now? Yes. Um, I mean, the first thing that I think the system and specifically the NCAA, the coaches and administrators need to admit, some of them do, not all of them. They need to admit the reality of the situation. Players are going to be paid soon. Uh, and, you know, there are lawsuits down the pike. It is going to happen, whether it happens through the courts, whether the NCAA decides to just do it themselves, or whether Congress uh, has it done. But the players are going to be paid. What what folks will say in response to that is, well, you know, then they can be fired. Yeah, they can be fired. But the truth is, players can be fired now. They can be kicked off their team at any time for any reason, as long as it's not an improper one, like you know, discrimination or something like that. Right. Uh, but the players are going to be paid. Uh, the question is, how is it done? Is it done the way it is in most of business, where everybody bargains with? Uh, particular employers individually. So you would offer a player a contract, and it would be so simple if they would do that. Instead of having the player sign a letter of intent, you sign them to a contract. Sign them to a three- or four-year deal. You can have a buyout in there. So if you play the pay the player, let's just pick a number, $500,000 a year. You can have a $500,000 buyout in there per year. and And then if some other team wants to get them they got to pay that buyout Mm -hmm. you know you can make the buyout whatever you want it's really not that difficult but people also say all right you know in addition to you can fire them then you know as if as if businesses just are looking to fire their employees that's (laughs) always really good business to fire people (laughs) willy-nilly um but but they also say all right there needs to be a salary cap okay um that's fine but you need to understand something with salary caps a salary cap in the NBA, the NFL, Major League Base, Major League Baseball, I don't think has one, but, but the NBA and the NFL. A salary cap is collectively bargained with the players. So the players are partners with the league in that. And it's bargained through a union, which means they can, they can cap compensation because it's collectively bargained. And that's an exception under the Sherman Antitrust Act. It's not an antitrust violation. So uh, this unionization is one step toward that, where the players can collectively bargain. I don't think unionization is going to happen. I think it'll be some sort of trade association, but it, it can operate a lot the same way. 
as far as the players bargaining with one voice with with uh, owner essentially ownership, which would be the NCAA and the member institutions. Who speaks um, for the players, Jay? Does it become one guy or by conference or what? How would you it could see be, that happen? I mean, it could be one person, uh, and they would have you know a, they could have a board of players and all that stuff. And uh, and it would operate the same way, much the same way that the NBA Players Association, the NFL Players Association, like high school or college players aren't members of the union. So they're only members of the union when they get into the league. Mm-hmm. And it could be the same way. You wouldn't have high school players that were involved in that until they, they come into the system. Uh, but, yeah, they could bargain that way. But people forget something with a salary cap. So you have a salary cap in the NBA, right? What they forget is the players get 50% of the revenue. Fifty percent. You think college sports wants to give half their money to the players? They don't. It would be cheaper if they just did it individually with the players and bargained with them, because then then you'd you'd have a maximum salary, but it'd be high, and then you'd have minimum salaries too. So everybody would get paid a minimum, and you could you could bargain for working conditions, all that stuff. Um, so it'd be totally different. So when you go into a union situation, there are real positives there for the players. But there are, there are negatives, too, just like there are in every, everything in life. There would be positives and negatives. Right now, the negatives are you get nothing. You know, you get your expenses, and that's it. And we'll allow you to do this NIL thing, but that's it. Mm-hmm. And so the players are getting far less than they're worth. But there, there could be a scenario where you could have a, a, a lockout. You know, the, the, they could lock the players out if they, they did a, 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 had a union or, or a trade association. There could also be a strike. That happens in, in pro sports. It doesn't happen very often, but, but it could happen. Um, so there, there are pluses and minuses to all, the, all these things, but the pluses far outweigh the, the minuses for the players, and I think it does for the entire system. And you hear it every bit as much as I do. All coaches are doing now is complaining. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. all they do is oh, complain. Yeah. Yep. They're complaining about how difficult this is, about how there are people in the player's ears. Like, oh, this player's transferring. He's got so many people in his ear. And you're like, wait a minute. So you're saying nobody was in his ear to tell him to come play for you. Right, right. right. Like, like they had people in his ear tell him to play for you. And, but now when they want to leave, that's the bad decision. <laughs> so the good decision was when the player had zero experience in your system and didn't really know you. That's the good decision. The bad decision is when the players and the players' parents, family have experience with you and they want to leave. That's the bad decision. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And all of us, I was thinking about this the other day, Bobby, all of us that work in in our business, the the media business, we we spend way more time talking to coaches and administrators than we do talking to players. And I try to do that more than ever now. But the narrative we hear is often the coaches. We don't hear from the players as often and uh and i i think they're being portrayed as selfish because they will you know now they're they're allowed to get something and they're thinking about it and you know nobody calls coaches selfish when they sign these big contracts or like why isn't anybody calling a coach like somebody you know with this ohio state thing a lot of guys are going to sign new contracts based upon ohio state's interest in them and nobody's saying, hey, that's greedy and selfish. You already signed your contract. If you want to stay, stay. If you want to go, go. But you shouldn't get more money just because there's a job open. Nobody says that. But they say it with regard to a player. It's selfish. You, you, should, you should sit on the bench and compete and work your way up to a starter if you don't like the fact that you're not playing. Oh, really? 
So Jalen Hurts should have stayed mm. at Alabama when he was probably the second-best quarterback in the country. He just happened to be playing behind the first. Mm-hmm. He's required to stay because of a decision he made out of high school. Like, that's absurd, and we need to stop doing that. Yeah. I have two questions for you before you go, if you'd be kind enough. One is a basketball one. One is about you. The basketball one is this. Lots of talk around here about Kentucky. And, you know, that fan base, as you know, is is very restless and and always in the best of times is a bit uh, on edge. And now they've they lost three home games in a row for the first time in a billion years. And people are pointing. And they've got some people that were largely very loud voices in this community that were kind of almost mouthpieces for Kentucky that seemingly have turned on them, on Cal a little bit, Kyle Tucker, Matt Jones, most notably. And the, the, the mindset is, well, you know, you look at, uh, you know, some guys like um, who just won a game the other day with like half his team out. And, you know, and he, he won a, a really big game and he it was missing a whole bunch of players. I don't remember who it was. It's irrelevant. But the point is then Cal lost and it's every time he seems to lose, it's because this player was out or that player was out. And they have had a lot of injuries. They clearly have. And they haven't been able to put their whole team together very often. But in the question of all that is how much do you ascribe their problems to the in, incongruous nature of their team where do you see them going and even in the immediate future like this Auburn team who's a very dangerous team um, which team do you think right now is the better basketball team Auburn or Kentucky's well playing at Auburn Auburn will be Uh, I'm not sure at Rupp Um, you know it's for some reason I don't know I can't wrap my head around it it's way more difficult it seems way more difficult this year to win a road game than it has in past Mm. years it's always been hard but this year it seems really hard. And, and this is the first time, Bobby, that I can remember thinking about some of these college schedules like an NBA schedule where, you know, in the NBA they refer to some things as schedule losses. In other words, Kansas has a barn-burning game against Houston at home, and then they got to turn around on Monday night and go and play at Kansas State. Right. And that was a schedule loss for them. And, uh, you know, all of these, all these schedules for the big shots are geared toward television, which is a, is a smart decision. It's certainly smart for TV, but it's, it's smart for the, the, the schools to do it because they make more money doing it that way. So they're putting their, their top brand names in more jeopardy than in years past. And, and I think they need to be more thoughtful about that, um, as to how they schedule, um, so that they're not putting their top teams in that position. But, getting back to Kentucky like I do think the fact that they started their season without their three big guys so they played small with uh, Trey Mitchell at the five then they incorporated their big guys in there so they're playing a different way then they have uh, you know Justin Edwards and DJ Wagner out for Florida and the next game and all that then they're back Um, it's made it difficult and I do think that's made continuity difficult on defense They're, they're not a great defensive team but they don't have to be a great defensive team they just have to get better as the season goes along. And they made a—I thought they made a jump. I, I didn't really count the Arkansas game because I don't think Arkansas is very good offensively, so mm-hmm. it can make your defense look a little bit better. But I thought they did a much better job against Ole Miss of being physical and uh, being the aggressor, and uh, and they're going to have to do that against against Auburn just to have a chance to win. The problem they have going to Auburn, in my view, is that. Kentucky is learning to be the aggressor. Auburn's already the aggressor, and they're relentless, and especially in that building. Um, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, Kentucky can go in there and play really, really well and still lose. If they don't, like, 
I think you you've heard this more than me, but the, the coaches use a phrase: "We got to be ready to play." I don't think ready to play is good enough on Saturday. I think you got to be ready for a fight. If you're not ready for for going down a back alley and ready for a brawl, uh, ready to play is going to get you beat. Ready to fight, you have a chance to win. Mm, well said. All right, here's my individual question for you, and it's kind of about Mike also. You are so eloquent. I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt about all these things in college sports. Everybody recognizes that. And, and you know, Mike, Coach K, left, Duke, retired. He still has an office there, and I guess he still does some things for the university, but he took a job with the NBA as an advisor, which I thought, I don't know, that's what I wanted to ask you. How much is he doing? But I was glad to see it because all that expertise should somehow – and he, like you, has always been very outspoken about the good of the game and some things that are issues facing the game. Why would you just want to let that sit on the sideline? You'd want to tap into that. So I'm glad he's doing that. Do you have any thought someday of being in a position other than being a commentator about this stuff? Or would that interest you? And, and so it's kind of a two-part question. What exactly is Mike doing, and how do you see yourself going forward? Uh, well, first, Coach K is probably busier now than he was when he was coaching. Really? Not as stressful. But, you know, I, I remember calling him uh, not long after he retired, and when he picked up the phone, I uh, I said, how are the pickleball games going? And he said, uh, he said, you know, I'm really busy. I've been doing that. I was, I was just kidding. You know, one, he's not going to play pickleball. But but I, I thought it was, you know, just kind of right. funny that – you know, he, he's not built to to be retired in the, the old sense of the word where, you know, you're playing shuffleboard and, and <laughs> hanging out with your friends and playing cards at the club. He's not built like that. So he's doing a lot of – he was, but he just had surgery on his ankle. He had an ankle replacement, so he's laid up now. But he was doing a lot of speaking engagements, flying all over the country, and and felt like he was learning a lot in addition to the value he was given to whatever company he was speaking for. But the NBA thing, um, I was, uh, you know, I was happy that he's doing that. I was really disappointed that the NCAA didn't do that. I thought, like, he should, the NCAA should have called him and other people to say, um, you know, we need your help and your input and your expertise. That doesn't mean they have to use it, but they should be hearing it. And I think there's a void there where they're not using the assets that they have but the, the flip side of that is um, it's a really frustrating process to deal with that system. And I just about a year ago came off of the competition, the NCAA's competition committee, which dealt with rules of play. And, you know, I, I, I loved it. And, but I, I, it was really frustrating that we, I felt like we weren't doing what we should be doing to help the game. You know, the, game, the rules need to change in certain instances and all that stuff. But, but Bobby, when I rolled off the committee, I've been happier, and really? I go to games now. I don't feel any responsibility for the for the officiating or the physical play. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled not to be doing that anymore, oh. and I'm sure a lot of people are thrilled I'm not doing it anymore. They don't have to listen to my bluster in those meetings. <laughs> but um, but I would say that with with uh, whatever I can do to help, I'll always help. Um, but I'm, I can, I can tell you that when I get to retirement, I am not looking to be frustrated. Um, and I was, somebody said to me recently, like, what are you going to do when you're retired? Just play golf all day. And I go, you know, every time I go to my club and I see all the old guys, none of them look unhappy and mm. none of them are trying to get out. That's true. Like, none of them are going, Hey, I got to get out of here, man. I can't <laughs> take this anymore. So I think I'll be fine. I think, I think you will too. Thanks for all the time as always, my friend. Where are you this weekend? 
Uh, I'm at Kentucky Auburn. I, I'm uh, oh. Tom Leach and I. Uh, Tom Leach and I have been staring each other down lately. He's kind of looking. And he goes, "You try to be voice of the Wildcats? Like, what are you doing here again?" <laughs> and uh, no, nobody can take Tom's place. He's the best. But uh, and then I had a problem with Jack Givens the other day. You, you, have you noticed? Like, they bring me an ice cream cone every yes, uh, I have seen every that. game, right? And and Givens, he, he, he looked over at me, he said, he took his headset off, he goes, hey man, I built this place and I can't get a cone. What is going on? <laughs> so I got, I, I created some enemies there. I got to watch myself. I'll talk to Goose. You know, that's, a, that's a little catty of Goose. I'm surprised. At that. <laughs> he was just kidding, but he is the best. What yeah. a nice man. Yeah, he's a good guy. Very good guy. Travel safe, my friend. Talk to you soon. All right, brother. Be good. All right. Jay Billis, you know, he's VVG. He's very, very good. Very, very good. Indeed. Very, very good. <laughs>